Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today is going to be a fun two-part series with Kevin Wilkie, the Marketing Development Director at Kuyu. And Kevin is known for being kind of an archery guru. He is a world-class archer, shot professionally for many, many years. And uh, it's always great to lean on his expertise. We're going to be answering a bunch of uh, podcast listener and Instagram follower questions about archery. Uh, so it's going to be really fun to dive into that. I want to thank you guys for your support of this podcast. Without you guys, it wouldn't be possible. I really appreciate interacting with you guys. If you want to send me a message, you can do so on Instagram at jscottoutdoors. Just send me a direct message. You can also send me an email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. Guys, we're kind of mid-June here. Uh, we're, all of us are gearing up uh, for these fall hunts. We've got July and August to kind of prepare. Uh, a bunch of these hunts will start in August. Uh, and then, of course, we've got you know our elk seasons, uh, which will be pretty much running through the month of September. So it's an exciting time of year. Uh, we've got a lot of cool stuff coming for you guys here on the podcast. I want to thank the following sponsors of this podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com. My friend Cody Nelson, the glassing guru, he is the optics authority. He's the optics manager over at GoHunt.com gear shop. Uh, if you guys have any interest in purchasing any optics, anything to do with glassing, tripods, binoculars, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, rangefinders, you name it, Give Cody a call at 702-847-8747. That's extension 2. You can also email him directly at optics at gohunt.com. Also, his cell phone is 602-399-3699. You can shoot him a text or call him on his cell. Uh, he loves to talk glassing, loves to talk optics. So give Cody a call. Uh, also want to tell you guys about the Go Hunt Insider, go to gohunt.com forward slash jscott to sign up. You're going to get a $50 Go Hunt Gear Shop uh, gift card just for signing up. Uh, gohunt.com has quickly become the, the resource and the place uh, for all of the information in regards to Western hunting applications, uh, draw odds, statistics. Here we are waiting on the Arizona um, draw for Arizona sheep, uh, and it's an exciting time. Uh, go check out Go Hunt Insider. Go to gohunt.com forward slash jscott and sign up. Uh, I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Obviously, I'm doing this podcast with Kevin Wilkie, and uh, Kuyu has been a big part of this podcast. It's the gear that I wear on all of my hunts. Go to kuyu.com. That's KUIU.com to order directly. It's a direct to consumer model, uh, so you can get everything on the website. And I also want to thank PhoneScope.com. Use the JScott20 promo code to get a 10% discount on all orders. Guys, uh, thanks for tuning in. I uh, hope you enjoy these two episodes with Kevin Wilkie. Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today I've got Kevin Wilkie of Kuyu. He's the Marketing Development Director. Kevin, how you doing? Fantastic. You know, we um, had a really good uh, kind of a part one series on bowstrings. We had a bunch of archery questions. Now we've got a bunch of other questions that I'd like to get to, and it's always great having you on the podcast. Uh, so I appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us. 
yeah i appreciate the opportunity it's always fun all right let's just dive into the questions here i've got a question from Corey ben dixon it says single pin at longer distances do you change your anchor point or do you get a larger peep it's a good question um so what he's talking about is uh so when you draw back and you anchor you know your your uh whether you're shooting a handheld release or a wrist strap you've, you've probably got some type of anchor point everybody's a little bit different everybody's kind of built different so not everybody's not going to have the same but as you find that anchor point you should have some like bone to bone contact whether it's your knuckle tucked against the back of your jawbone you know the strings likely touching the tip of your nose and you're looking straight through the peep now as you on a single pin site it rovers up and down right so as you um as that site scales down and and for the longer distance shots your anchor point has to change so the typical feeling is what you get like let's say a guy set his anchors where it feels absolutely perfect at 20 yards like he's aiming at his target 20 yards you can draw back with your eyes closed open them up look through and you're looking directly through your peep and your pin should line up on uh, your, your 20 yard target and everything just feels really natural. Now, if you were to drop that sight scale down or the sight down on the scales where you hit like 80, hundred yards or whatever, you know, pretty long shot. Um, and, and you were to draw back with your eyes closed again and open them like your, you won't even be looking at your sight housing. Like you will be, your, your, your sight housing will be below your peep sight. You won't even be able to look through it. So you have to change your anchor to get to where you can look through your peep sight and have it naturally line up. Um, now, how I do this is I take whatever my range of distance that I'm shooting will be. Now, this is for guys shooting sliders or one-pin sights. Now, if you're shooting a fixed-pin, five-pin sight, just center it on the housing and have a nice day you're done like you're gonna just center always center on the housing um now if you're shooting a slider or, or, or a one pin um what i'll typically do is i'll take the distances that i'm going to be shooting and i'm going to use the the reading tournament as uh in california is is the 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 tournament that i'm getting ready for let's say i'm getting ready for reading farthest shot is 101 yards closest shot is four yards which you end up aiming about 30 on anyway but um so i want a, an anchor point that will work through that whole range you know from 10 yards all the way to 100 i want to be able to have a comfortable anchor point so what i'll do is i'll set my site close to where it'll be at about 80 yards and then i'll draw back and i'll set it to where it absolutely feels perfect for 80 yards and then i'll let down um and then i'll rover the site up to 20 and i'll draw back and it'll feel a little bit tight but I think it's better to have it feel a little bit tight on your closer distances shot versus your long distance shots. Um, but then again, you don't want to like optimize for a hundred yards, but when you get it at 20, you're going to be tucked so tight that it's going to be super uncomfortable. So I would, you know, take whatever your max distance is and cut maybe like 20 off of it or go halfway. You know, you, you'll just have to kind of play around with, with what's comfortable for you. Um, so back to his question should i just go with a larger peep site or adjust your anchor me personally i adjust my anchor um now on the topic of peep site like how do you know if you've got the right size of peep like what if it's too big like the 
the thought is if you go too big, um, you won't get proper alignment. So one thing that I do to test that, you know, let's say I've got a larger peep in there for hunting and I want to, I want it large so I can get a lot of daylight through it. Um, I will step back, you know, 20, 30 yards and I'll draw back and I'll purposely look through the side of the peep to where I'm not anchored up is where I normally would. Like, let's just say I'm, I'm just going to kind of move my head off to the left a little bit to where I'm not looking exactly through the center of the peep and I'll, I'll shoot it a few times that way and I'll see where I miss. Um, and then I'll do it on the right side of the peep Then I'll do it high and then low kind of go around the world with that peep sight, you know, looking through the bottom of the top of it, left and right. And eventually when you, when you get down to the right size of peep, um, you'll notice your misses, like you can't tell a difference. Like, but with a huge peep, yeah, you'll definitely notice a difference if you're not centered up. So I'll usually try to choke that size down as tight as I can get it, but still get good daylight to where I don't have to be absolutely perfect to still have the arrow impact in the center. So hopefully that was a little tip for one, setting up your anchor and two, how to determine peep size. Got a question here from gbag1402 biggest differences between top end bows like hoyt prime matthews etc so he's wanting to know like yeah you've got the, the the ford chevy dodge debate going on right there like which one's better um yeah i used to work at hoyt i'm a hoyt shooter like i bleed hoyt i'm a hoyt guy i admit it like anytime i'm buying anything you know, I, I was a sales rep for a while, and I, 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 there, there's three core reasons of why anybody buys any any product, right? You've got the quality of the product. Like, somebody will pick a brand based on the quality alone. Um, the next deciding factor would be the deal. Like, if you get a good deal on that brand of bow, that's the reason you shot it. Um, so, that, that'd be another driving factor. Like, the price or the deal... And then the third one would be like the emotional connection to the brand. Like, let's say, um, like you, you met the president of the company. He's an awesome guy. Like, you know, their shooters, you, you know, him personally, or your brother-in-law works there, whatever. There's an emotional connection to a brand for me. Hoyt is all three, like the quality's number one. Um, the deal, like I, I, I've been on their pro staff for years a great deal i'm not gonna lie about it and then i have an emotional connection with the brand i used to work there i have friends that work there like they're local to me great company so that said that's why i shoot hoyt all three reasons so when you're picking out a brand of bow you know you got to determine what you're picking it for is it the deal is it the emotional connection to the brand or is it the quality of the product so if we're just talking about quality there's a, they're building a lot of good bows out there. Like what a time to be alive, to be able to pick a bow. Um, a lot of top brands, they're all feeding off of each other. They're all competing. Like it's been a while now, but there, there's always been kind of three top brands rise to the top. What makes a Hoyt special for me? Why I shoot them so well. Like I've tried other brands. I, in my little archery shop here, I get a lot of neighbors and friends and stuff come in with, Hey, can you, help me tune this bow or work on this. Like I've worked on every brand of bow under the sun. Um, the Hoyts are really easy to work on. Um, anyway, I don't want to turn this into a Hoyt advertisement. It's not what he asked, but like what makes the Hoyt special for me is the geometry. Like if there's one thing that sets them apart that they do really well, 
Now, I'll be the first to admit, the RX-4 carbon bow that I'm hunting with right now isn't the smoothest bow out there. It's not the quietest. But to me, it's the most accurate. Like, the geometry is spot on. Like, the limb angles, the grip angle, where the grip's located. Like, I can just draw back, look at the target, and my pin goes right to where I'm looking at. Like, don't even have to think about it to shoot it. And I get, yeah, I've shot Hoyt a long time, but there's been some Hoyt bows that I've not liked. Like, that I just didn't get along with. Um, but if there's one thing that Hoyt's doing right now that's solid is the geometry. Like, accuracy and the geometry of them is conducive to shooting super tight groups. Um, the other brand you mentioned is Matthews. They are a fantastic bow company. They do a lot for the sport. They sponsor a lot of my friends. They do a, a great job in everything they touch. They do a great job. They build a great bow. But for me, I feel like their hunting bows are top heavy. Like I feel like I can't put enough stabilizer on them to get them to balance and to point well. Like By the time I get um one of their bows to point well for me and to react the way my hoits do like it's too heavy to pack around it's too heavy to hunt with like it's just not my style i mean they're super quiet they're super smooth but as far as the geometry goes not for me um i'm probably raising some hackles on some people right now i know that like they're tied in the wall with their brand and i'm going to be wrong about something or my opinion is not what their opinion is so if this irritates you guys i'm sorry but just know that if you ever ask me something you're going to get what i really think like i'm not going to sugarcoat it for you um the primes like i i've tried i've worked on quite a few of them they're not fun to work on like i i don't like their their four cam design um with a dual split string tracks um they're super quiet they're super smooth they're like the matthews in that regard they aim pretty well but i hate working on them they're tricky to tune like i've had some in my shop that are just there's not a lot you can do other than moving your rest left and right to get a to get a good bolt hole through paper you know i like bows that have yokes on them that you can adjust the yoke one way or the other and there's few other ways of tuning them other than just the rest um i'm not a fan of their uh their their flagship hunting bow right now has seven different bowstrings on it um to me that's just too much like like i just feel like something could go wrong on a hunt with that but i'm sure there's guys out there that love them the guys that shoot them really well um i'm not a guy i'm not a kind of guy that picks a bow off of, of smooth and feel alone I bet you 90% of the people out there buying bows, they walk into the pro shop, they walk up to the target, they've got three or four of them lined up, they're all set the same poundage, same draw length, or at least they, hopefully they are. So it's a good apples to apples comparison. They step up to the target, they close their eyes, and they shoot all of them, and they just go with whatever one feels the best. Like, I've never been that guy, because feeling the best isn't always shooting the best. Like, I go with what bow, the bow that sings for me is the one that shoots tight groups. Because for me, like, it's all about shot placement for hunting. It's all, and when I'm competing, it's all about the scorecard. Like, I want to, at the end of the day, I don't care if my bow is smooth or super duper quiet. My bows are quiet enough. They're, they're fast enough. But where I really, where they really work for me is the accuracy. So 
I know I don't pick a bow the same way everybody else does. Some guys do fantastic and have killed big animals and world records, this and that, with bows that they've picked off of feeling good. They're not wrong, but for me, like, I don't pick a bow that way. So, Kevin, that's uh, uh, the long answer to a short question. I've seen in golf a lot, uh, you know, I used to play a lot of golf and, you know, I'm still a fan of professional golf and I've seen players that, you know, have great years and, you know, all of a sudden they're getting the name and then they get a huge contract with a certain manufacturer and they switch equipment and, you know, for the next three or four years, they're just lost. They can't, you know, they, they've basically yep. followed the money. Does the same thing happen? Uh, again, we're just going to try and just piss everybody off with this i guess but i guess my <laughs> totally. question is i i see it in other sports where you know especially golf where you know someone switches equipment and then they just cannot find themselves and then three or four years later they end up switching back do you see the same thing in archery and have you and, and i'm not asking for specific um situations but i'm do you see the same thing happen where maybe someone chases the money and all of a sudden they drop in rankings and everyone's going, why didn't you just shoot what got you there? Yeah, definitely. And, I, and I've, I'll use myself as, a, as an example. Like, I, that's why I will not sign a release sponsorship or contract. Never have, never will. Because I switch up often enough like just to keep the feel fresh. If one release isn't quite firing the way I want it to, I'll grab one that's similar but from another brand. And one year I signed a, a release contract and I shot the whole year with a release I, did, I wasn't getting along with. And it was a wasted year. But yeah, I, I was Hoyt's pro staff manager for a while. Like I was the guy over the team. Um, and I saw it a lot. Like guys that had, you know, even it goes, it's a two way street. Like they'd done really well with another brand of bow and they came to us and they picked it up and they didn't, it wasn't home for them. They did not shoot it well. And other guys like had shot on that, our team and they had went to another brand and they just like flat on their face, never heard from them again. Um, see it all the time. Um, that I'm a firm believer of dancing with the one that brought you kind of thing. Like that's why I've stuck with Hoyt all these years is, I was, that, yeah, it was like, the first real good bow, I mean, I'd, I'd shot a lot of brands through the 90s, and my first Hoyt was just like, yeah, that's where I found home. And, and I'll be the first one to admit that. Like, I'm branded to the, to the I'm branded to them. Like, I, I love their bows. But, um, yeah, I, it, it's, what you see in golf is, you see it every year in archery. Like, no doubt about it. Got another question here from Robbie Bunch. It says, is 267 feet per second of, and a 400-grain arrow enough to kill a bull elk at 70 yards? It's all in where he hits it. If you pinwheel it, it's done. Game over. Like That's that's why I always preach shot placement. Now, that's, that's quite a poke. Would that be my ideal setup? Probably not. Like I, I, I don't think I would take a 70 yard shot on an elk is my first shot. Like what I like about elk hunting is getting close to them. And I think all the elk I've killed over the years have all been within 30 yards on my first shot. But I mean, if that, I'm not going to tell him he's right or he's wrong. and wanting to go do that. But my gut is it's a little bit light for, um, for a 70 yard shot on an elk. But if he straight up pins, pinwheels it, 
he's done. But like, don't don't expect to get a complete pass through. As I, I don't think like you're going to penetrate. You'll if you don't dead center a rib and you hit soft tissue. I bet it would bury. I bet the arrow would go and stop on the opposite rib cage on the other side and probably go in that far. If he dead centers a rib, he might get six inches of penetration. Um, that's just total speculation, though. Like, shot enough elk that I can kind of have a, enough conceptual knowledge of what an arrow is going to do to a target at that distance. But I, I, I can't, I can't, you know, give it my blessing that it was. Yep, yeah, you'll kill it every time. <laughs> like. Yeah. Okay, we've got I've a, a question shots at here three from, feet not work. Yeah, Loopy Junior, clear pin versus clear target. How do you shoot and why? So what he's asking, um, great question. So he's wanting to know where your focus should be. You know, as you as you draw back and you're looking for your peep, do you focus in on the pin and let the target be a little bit blurry? Or do you focus on the target and allow the pin to be a little bit blurry? So I personally, I, I try, I, I, I do a little bit of back and forth. Like as I'm drawn back and I'm kind of, and I, it's all subconscious. Like I'm not thinking about it. I just naturally do it. But as I'm driving that shot home, I am focused on the target. And your pins are just a reference point anyway. Like, where my arrow lands isn't always the exact same place my pin was at when the shot broke. Like it's a, you get into the Zen of archery and like, you know, you get to where you're meshing really well with a bow and they just laser beam at whatever you're looking at. Like, like my, my focus and determination is, is always on the target. So as I'm drawing back and getting things lined up, I do a little bit of back and forth just to make sure I'm in alignment. But like the last section of my shot process I'm ultra focused on the target and the pin is just kind of a blurry reference point. That's kind of banging around the center of whatever the dot is I'm looking at. It's kind of covering it up and uncovering and just a little bit of movement on some days, other days it's like dead steady, like it's bolted to the target kind of feeling. Um, but regardless of what kind of movement I've got, I've still got the determined focus to keep my eyes locked on the target. Got a question here from Jesse George. 85 what are some good resources for diy bow tuning including tuning your own arrows um so while i worked at gold tip tim gillingham good friend of mine he is like he he's tested everything under the sun but if there's one and like sometimes it's with tim like take it with a grain of salt but the one thing that i absolutely will listen to him on and, and use his counsel with arrow building. Like nobody does it better than that guy. Um, so if you go to goldtip.com, there should be something in the resources section about arrow building. Um, that's where I would go. And as far as online information, um, man, there's just, there's so much of it out there. Like pick your favorite pro archer and, and follow them. Like they're, they're all, their job is to push out content. So, you know, they're going to give you good information. Um, but man, the, you, you'll learn more through trial and error and doing it yourself and just figuring it out on your own, you know, get, get the basic principles from other people and then just apply it and do it on your own. And that, that's where you're really going to learn. Like, as I grew up around archery, like there weren't any videos to watch. We didn't have YouTube, like, 
you know, I, I, I learned through trial and error at the range, shooting tournaments, going bow hunting. But yeah, with all, with all the resources we have today, like you can definitely trim off years off of that learning curve by, you know, applying knowledge from, um, what reputable pros have to say. So usually, you know, as I was climbing up through the ranks of professional archery, I'd, I'd go to the guy that was winning that was shooting the most tournaments. Um, I wasn't going to go to the guy that, uh, that's not shooting tournaments. That's not killing elk. That's not do like, or the has been like, I'm, I'm going to talk to the guys that are getting it done. So there's a guy in your local area that's successful. It, even if he's shooting local tournaments and he's doing a really good job at it, man, take them out to lunch, pick their brain, do what you got to do to, to get it out of them. Um, but anyway, when, while I, you know, working at Kuyu and, um, you know, the guys that I know within the industry, I, I kind of like, I can tap into some knowledge really quick, whatever I want to learn about. So I'm, I, I'm really blessed and fortunate, you know, working at Kuyu and having so many guys like at my fingertips to learn, you know, which gear, like pretty, pretty tight knit community. Like if you message these guys, like they're, they're usually pretty open to help you out. Do you feel like there are some people out there that really want to get into tuning their own bow and doing some of that? And there's also the guy out there that maybe he should focus his time on actually shooting and practicing and let someone that's a professional tune their bow and get completely dialed in and spend their time shooting. Sometimes I know guys that love tinkering and you know I'm not knocking at all, but they love tinkering so much that they end up spending so much time with that that they end up not having enough time to actually shoot practice and, you know, get a repetitive motion going and, and, you know, getting a good pattern. Whereas if they would just get someone like yourself or, you know, like what you're saying, someone that's really good to work on their bow and get it really dialed in and then spend their time out there shooting. You get what I'm saying? Like there's, yeah, I see it where guys just end up basically pissing in the wind sometimes. Sure. Certainly. What are your thoughts? Um, so I tell you what, I can, I can take my bow and detune it a little bit. Like, let's just say I'm not getting perfect arrow flight. Cans are a little out of time. I can go out and shoot same, similar scores with like the gains are so minimal. Like the performance is kind of built into the bow. Like if you get them in the ballpark, they shoot pretty dang good. Um, now any gain above that is very minimal. So, like, yeah, don't, don't waste too much time tuning and tinkering. Like just get it dialed in and then work, work on your shot. Like I, I think you're way, you nailed it on the head. Like you're better off learning your swing than standing in front of the paper tuner for three hours at a time. Like, I, I don't know. Like there's a balance there. Like you definitely got to have range time involved and, and it, and you're not going to make up for range time through, dinking around with your bow like time shot time spent shooting you know you know further distances pushing yourself a little harder keeping score while you're shooting shooting a match like you're gonna get you're gonna there like i can't emphasize enough like how good guys get when you introduce competition like i go to these archery shoots and they're people not keeping score and they just quote unquote shooting for fun like they're not doing themselves any service by that, but you go to a real match and you like put some money on the line and you want to compete. That is when you're going to get good. That is when like, 
okay, that's not going to make you good. Like all of a sudden you went to a competition, but that's going to show you where you're bad. Um, where your weaknesses are. Yeah, exactly. Like, and, and when you go out hunting, like you're, you're not going to suddenly rise to the occasion and be able to accomplish <laughs> the perfect shot that you've never been able to pull off before. You're going to, you'll make when the pressure is on and it's like all for nothing, like you will make the worst shot in your library of shots. Like you're going to fall back to your level of training. I know there's a quote out there about that. And I probably totally <laughs> plagiarized it, but like, <laughs> you don't rise to the occasion. You're just going to fall back to the level of training that you've got. <laughs> if your training is, you know, unbolting and stuff on your bow and tinkering with timing all day, like that stuff's important, but like, I don't know. I, that's like, I build my bows up to compete and also to win. Like that's my focus. Like even if I'm building a hunting bow, like I build it to win. And, and for me, like, winning on a hunt is notching my tag, making that high pressure shot, you know, ultra focused, do it with confidence, drive it home. However you got to do it, no matter what the circumstances are, you're going to make a solid shot on that animal. Um, that's what my folk. And I, and I think if other people were to put their focus towards that, like I think they'd be, get far better than watching YouTube all day on how to do it question here from larry underscore ny please provide parameters around bow poundage and arrow setup grains for elk i don't know if there's like really a cut and dried parameter on this i know we covered this in the last podcast but like i would suggest there are more elk die every year to a 375 grain arrow coming out of a 65 pound bow with a enter your favorite brand of whatever broadhead on the front like there are more people that notch elk tags to that exact setup than anything out there. It, it gets proven year in and year out. Um, it's more about the shot placement than it is about the arrow. So that said, my my elk setup, I'm shooting a 450 grain arrow at 300 feet a second. Um, killed a lot of elk with it. I've got pass-throughs. I've had arrows stop short. I've had a little bit of everything. When you consider the million different angles that an arrow, like if you were to like look at an elk and just like plot it out as every square inch of where an arrow could go in and then all of the other square inches on the other side of where it could come out, like it is endless. Like the possibilities and combinations of where you could shoot an animal and where it'll come out. So to say there's a cut and dried parameter, like you got to have at least this and at least that, like I think what our state agencies have done here in Utah, it's, uh, I forget they changed it. I know I'm well above it, but it's like a 40-pound draw weight, and uh, th and that's about it. Like, as long as you're shooting 40 pounds, um, I'll probably, somebody from Utah is going to call me out on this. But I know, I just know I'm well above the requirement as far as what's legal. Um, but, yeah, I, I, would I would focus more on learning good shot placement and like we talked about in the previous podcast, my rule of thumb, my opinion, the heaviest arrow you can get going around 280 is a fantastic rule of thumb that, you know, if you're, if you're following that, like you're, you're pretty well maximized as far as kinetic energy and momentum and forgiveness on, um, an error with range estimation. Got a question here. Best thumb button hunting release. 
Man, there's a lot of good ones. Um, I, I don't know if they're as popular as they used to be, but Carter um, out of Idaho, they build some of the most fantastic release aids I've ever laid hands on. They're ergonomic. They click so clean. Like They're just very well built. They're high-end. They're expensive. So I would look at a Carter. Um, that said, like Trueball builds a fantastic re- release. I know they've come out with a lot of new ones lately. Um, Stan is also another good one. I'm probably leaving a couple of them out. Uh, but I... I really like the Carters and the True Balls. That, that's where I would, if I was looking for a handheld for hunting, that's those are the two camps that I would, I would explore. Question here: How do I increase my consistency? Good, good question. Um, but there's so many answers to it. It's like, um, I think having a determined focus for every shot will is the best way to increase your consistency. What I see um, guys shooting unimportant shots, semi-important shots, and followed up by really important shots, and they don't practice the really important ones enough. So that's when they miss or they screw up or they punch the trigger or something bad happens is because they haven't practiced those important shots enough so easiest way for me to remedy that is make them all equal importance so whether it's um five yards or a hundred i shoot that shot with the exact same mental drive and focus to plow that arrow through the center the same amount of determination on all of them whether i'm paper tuning or winning a match or um shooting a practice arrow I try to put the same amount of determined focus on every single one of them. They all should mentally weigh out the same. That way, if you do that, when you do get that important shot, it won't feel foreign to you. Like, I hear that a lot. Like, I used to work at an archery shop, and, I work, and I've worked in the industry. You hear everybody's hunting stories. The one thing that I, I hear often from people that aren't um, – you know, pushing their focus as much as they probably should is they say, when I drew back my bow on that buck, it felt foreign to me. Like, like, like it just felt wrong. It just didn't feel it's, and it's not that there was something wrong with their bow or their form. It's just the feeling of pressure got to them. Like, like all of a sudden it counted like, Oh no, it, it all comes down to this. Like, what do I do? It's because they hadn't practiced that feeling enough. And, and that's another me putting a plug in for people to shoot competitions. Like if you keep score and shoot competition, that feeling you get when you're nerved up is not foreign. When you go to shoot that animal, you really want on your wall. That's, that's, that's my take on consistency. Got a question here. If I have limited yard space, what is a good way to practice for longer distances? Um, one thing that I would do, and I do this often is I, I, I'll set up my paper tuner uh, in my little shop. Like, I live in a neighborhood. I, I can't shoot a lot of long distance. So I'm in, the, I'm in the same boat as this guy. So I'll set up my paper tuner, and I'll put these little teeny, I'll draw little dots, aiming dots on my paper tuner. And the closer you get to a target, the, the lower your sight has to be, right? So um, let me, let me qu- quickly explain how this works. So at... Uh, 
if you ever you notice you don't ever have a pin really that far above 20 and that's because your line of sight mat meets your line of your arrow around 14 yards so 14 yards out you're aiming um like normal and the closer you get you'll need a lower pin on your sight scale or a lower number on your sight scale for the closer you get to the target so as an example at six feet i gotta aim like 85 yards to hit an arrow hole so what i'll do is i'll draw these little teeny tiny dots on my target on my paper tuner and i'll step up you know five six feet away from the paper tuner and i'll aim at those dots with like one of my lower pins usually it's like my bottom pin on my site is where i'll be aiming and you're not trying to like really hit the dot but you're actually just practicing breaking the shot on a small target with your sight pin or your sight set kind of low and and how you measure yourself is by your paper tear um if you make the slightest imperfection on a shot it'll show up on the paper tuner um let's say all your arrows are perfectly matched and they are capable of shooting a one hole group on a target they should all shoot the exact same tear as one another um so i'm just going to pay attention to you know what the tear looks like like oh that one went left what made it do that like oh i got it i i anchored a little bit too tight on that one and it made the arrow go left or my hand pressure was off a little bit so as you try to fine-tune that and you're aiming with the lower part of your sight and you're, you're holding yourself accountable by not really where your arrow impacts, but what type of tear it makes, dude, that's awesome practice. Like in the winter or, you know, it'll do two things. It'll help you sort out all your arrows. You can do some knock tuning while you're at it. Um, that's a fantastic way. And, and back to my previous point I made, put the same amount of pressure on yourself for a five-yard shot as you would 100, as long as you're always focusing on making the same determined like drive it home kind of shot like doesn't matter the distance like you're gonna shoot the same shot no matter what like it it's the same good stuff next question best stabilizer setup for western hunting um we may have covered this before but i i run the what i feel is best for me is just one goofy side stabilizer pointed out to the side um that's just been my ticket for a while now i like the way my boat balances front and back i'm just adding a little bit of weight for um to offset the quiver and the sight and the rest and everything just to get it really neutrally balanced but stabilizers are so personal like okay that said i, I there's no way i would step out to go hunting on a western hunt or like sam go, going to chase pronghorn and you will have some longer shots if especially if you're doing spot and stock like i'm not going to show up with a six inch rubber stabilizer like i'm going to try to build something up that's going to really help me get on target quick and stay steady uh what you see most western guys running would be a 10-8 kit meaning a, a 10 inch stabilizer out the front with anywhere from two to ten ounces and on their back bar uh, that's coming out the back and kind of angled down a little bit, um, anywhere from like five to 15 ounces on it, you know, just kind of, you, you have to shoot them. Like I, I can't hand somebody my bow. That's the same size as me. And they draw it back at me. Felt really awkward to them. It may not balance very well. Sometimes guys like grab my bow and they'll feel like, Holy crap, that thing holds really well. Like what it, 
and, and they'll try the same thing I've done, and it works for them. But more often than not, it's you got to grind it out and find out what stabilizer set works for you. Um, but if you're following some of the common trends of what's working in competition, is you know a little bit lighter bar out the front and a heavier one out the back seems to balance a bow out nicely. Best veins for long shots in open country, fixed and or mechanical. Uh, definitely mechanical. Um, so what, did you say veins as well as which broadhead? Yes, veins. Okay. Um, so I did a test one day. It was when I, I worked at, at Hoyt. It was at the Easton Training Center. Um, I had stepped back at 70 meters, which is 76 and a half yards, so close to 80-yard shot. That's just the 70-meter line is where, um, you know, it's a pretty popular distance for competition. Um you know, I was standing back at 70 meters, and I was testing broadheads with different vein sizes and which one had the most drift. Now, if you've ever been to the Easton Training Center, it's a fantastic shooting facility. They've got it set up to where you can kind of be out of the wind, and um, we brought our own target. This was like before – it was like when I was brand new, and I knew the guy that worked there. So if you go to try to do this there now, they may or may not lay you. I don't know. Don't tell them I said you did. Um at any rate, um, I uh, I stepped back at 70 meters, shooting broadheads with um, different vein types in the wind just to see which one shot the best. And surprisingly, uh, the longest, tallest vein of the whole group shot the absolute best out of all of them. Like, I, I really thought the small, low-profile vein would track better in the wind. But seriously, it was like a three-inch vein with a good amount of helical outshot all the small veins like drifted last group better. Um, but every, every setup's a little bit different. So I would, that's a tough one. Like I, I, if I were you, I'd perform the same test, go buy a few different packages of fletchings, um, fletch them up in different configurations, step back at a longer distance with a little bit of breeze and, run them through the ringer and see which one sings for you. You might be surprised. I know I was. So from then on, I've, I typically run a little bit bigger vein than what a lot of guys do. They think they're getting better wind drift or less wind drift and better accuracy with a small vein, but they've never really tested it against anything else. So they don't really know. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not cut and dried and it's not the same for everybody. Every arrow is a little bit different. Every broadhead's a little bit so many different combinations that you just got to test it. Another question, mechanicals or fixed blades for elk if I'm not the best at tuning my bow? Um, I think a mechanical would give them the best accuracy, the most forgiveness. I've, I've shot some setups out of fixed heads that, you know, you're a little nervous on the shot and like sometimes fixed bladed broadheads can have a mind of their own and, like if I were you, I would go with a bigger vein profile, something a little bit more drag to give it a little bit more stability. And, you know, I, I for me to want to shoot a mechanical at elk, I want to be over, I don't know, 450 grains. And personally, like I know guys do it with less. Like I said, there's more elk killed every year with a 375 grain arrow shooting mechanical. Again, it all goes back to shot placement, but a mechanical 
with a forgiving vein setup, you know, a little bit more vein than normal, maybe your ticket. Um, you can take a, a detuned bow and still get some pretty good results with with a with a ma- enough vein that'll correct whatever mistake it's got coming out of it. The arrow wants to track straight. Like they always try to like just the nature of the fletchings and the and the balance of the arrow. You know, they'll they'll try to correct and fly straight once they get out of the bow. Like they'll you know, you got a little bit of wobble coming out and then once the arrow gets going it'll correct and it'll stabilize and then it'll fly true. So the quicker you can stabilize that setup, the better off you are. I think a mechanical, if you're shooting a pretty good arrow weight at a good speed, I'd recommend it. Um, if if not, still, even a mechanical punch through the boiler is going to be better than a, an unforgiving fixed head, you know, through the guts or through the hind end or through the neck or whatever. Um, so I, I personally like mechanicals for elk. How does the rear elbow position change impact point on a target? Best elbow, rear, let's see, best elbow, rear elbow position. Uh, so what I look for is I'm like setting up a new archer or somebody asks the, the how's my form posts you see all the time. Like, how's my form? How do I look? You know, if I'm standing directly behind you, I want to see the tip of your elbow line up with the right straight down the center of your shaft. But that's what I'm looking for. That's not always what you get because people have different body types. Mike Schlosser from the Netherlands, um, arguably the best archer in the world right now. He's probably ranked number one. You stand behind that guy and look at his form. It's not that good. But the guy can pound. Like, he's such a good shot. And it, he's got a different body type. He just makes it work for him. Um, his elbow looks really out of position, but for him it's not. Um, so, like... I try to focus on getting to what's comfortable, what's repeatable. It doesn't have to be textbook. It just has to be yours. Um, Textbook isn't a bad place to start if you don't know what you're doing. Um, But at the end of the day, you got to find your own swing. Um, Ideally, if I'm looking at a guy, like if, if his elbow is too far back behind, like the string is going to be contacting his face. You know, the nose is, his nose is going to be pushed into the string too hard. You know, he's going to have his veins rubbing up against his chin. He won't have an anchor point. He's too far back. I, like, there's more than just one indicator of, of just elbow position. He'll have, if your elbow's too far back, you're going to have five or six other problems stacked on top of that. Now, let's say you're too short. You know, he's, the guy's probably going to have a bent arm, um, bent bow arm, which which I don't feel like is, is that accurate, but some guys make it work. For me, it doesn't. Um, I think, uh, and then, you know, he might not have his nose on the string. It might be too short of a draw length. So it's just, it's, it's more than just elbow position. It's, it's kind of a culmination of everything to, to get it in, to fit it to where it looks good on you or it's your form, um, to where it's aiming well for you. And it's easy to break consistent shots while you're under pressure. Question here, currently a rifle hunter, but want to get a bow, Alaska caribou, moose, etc. best beginner rig? Um, I think we talked a little bit about how to pick a bow earlier. You know, you, you're going to want to, you know, determine which, which features are, you know, I like, I'll, I'll use the example that I was here for optics. Like when people ask like, which binoculars should I go with? 
the answer is usually go with the most expensive pair you can afford to buy. Like that's going to be the best pair. Like um, as far as the bow setup, man, I would, I would look, you know, whatever your budget is, you could consider, um, you know, a mid range bow with really nice accessories. I would rather have that than a super high end bow with crap accessories or lower end accessories. Like um, you're a rifle hunter. So, you know, would you rather have, a really good shooting rifle with a with a poorly made scope or would you rather have an okay shooting rifle with a really good scope you can look through like you're always going to pick the better scope so i would rather over accessorize get really good accessories on a an older model or a lower end bow than the other way around so um try a few of them out see you know I, like as i'm picking a bow out i, I recommend guys you know, don't just do it blindfolded at three feet because that's not going to do anything for you at the end of the day. Sight it in and see how well you can group with it. Um, do that with a handful of them. But good rule of thumb, um, you know, get nicer accessories, a good release. I, I see so many guys like skimp on their release. Like they go with something with a ton of travel that just doesn't feel good and they end up just developing a bad habit with it. Whereas if they would have started with something with a really high-end trigger on it, like, yeah, you're, you're, you're far better off to upgrade on accessories, skimp on the bow a little bit than the other way around. What's the best way to fix peep rotation? Um, so like we talked about in the, the podcast before about bowstrings, peep rotation comes from an unbalance of twist. Um, the, the twist rate is unequal on the outside of the servings as it is on the inside. So I can take one of the strings that I build, the people not at will not twist one bit. And it, let's say I let five or six twists out of the string, it'll start having some rotation to it. Or let's say I add an extra five or six twists to it. So to be able to correct that peep rotation, they'll have to alter the length of the string. Um, but then that's going to throw off the tune of the bow. It's going to, your draw length might be too short or it might be end up being too long. Uh, you're better off to go with a quality string maker and have them build you one that won't twist. Um, but let's just say you got to live with it and, and your peeps coming back, it's rotating around. Like I know some really good art. Like I've watched some guys win like world cup, world championship level tournaments with a bowstring setup where their peep is completely sideways at brace height, but as they come around to full draw, it turns around and they can look straight through it. They shoot fantastic. It's just a matter of getting it timed to where as you draw back, it'll rotate around and you can look through it. So say you're stuck with the string, you have to make deal with it. You can add a twist or take one out to clock that bowstring until you can look through that peep side at full draw. Um, I don't like doing it, but you can also change the position of your D loop, um, of where the release clicks onto the D loop. It'll, man it'll manipulate the string around where it pulls it around straight. Uh, I had a guy while I was working at the archer shop back in the day, he came off the mountain from his hunt because he couldn't see through his peep. Well, from his bow riding around in his ATV or his, like somehow his D loop got twisted around. I looked at his bow I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry you came off the mountain for this, but like, here's all I'm going to do. And I just took his D loop and I straightened it back out 
twisted it on the, i like threaded it around the string where it was straight <laughs> pulled it back one time like here you go <laughs> like it was a super simple fix so um use your d loop or the twist of the string if you got a deal if if you have the luxury of putting a new bowstring on that's what i would recommend as well Kevin, that's all the questions that we have for today. One question I have for you is being, you know, marketing development director there at Kuyu, how does someone with as much archery knowledge and experience that you have um, go about your day, you know, day-to-day business there with Kuyu in, you know, developing marketing plans and coming up with some of the content and written content and some of the stuff you do how do you take all of that experience and knowledge, you know, and put it into your daily work there at Kuyu? Well, uh, like as I'm putting the, let's say a product description, we got a, let's say we got a new pair of pants coming down or a new hoodie or something. Like, as I write that description, I'm thinking about you guys. I'm thinking about guys like me that hunt and, and what you want to know about the product. Like I've been in those situations. Um, like our, our, our new boots as an example, like I just, as I built those descriptions, um, like I've, I've been on enough backcountry hunts and I, I, like I'm a, I'm a boot nerd, like as much as I am a, a bow guy, like I love boots. And it's so like, it, it's a lot of fun for me to go through and like from a hunter's point of view and, and not as much as an archer's point of view, like, like honestly, before I worked at Kuyu, I was getting a little burned out on archery. And so this has been a good respite from, from my archery, like my side thing is my archery right now. And then like my, my job at Kuyu is my full-time thing. And I, and I love doing them both, but now that I'm not doing archery full-time as my job, I, I, I tend to enjoy it more. Um, so it like right now I've struck a really clean balance between like my passion for hunting gear and backpacks and boots and just i love gear like and that's why i love bows and that's why i love reloading that's why i love rifles like i geek out on all this stuff um so it really like i I just feel like i can speak the language like and and when you guys read these descriptions know that it's not just some like it's a team of hunters that pull this together like and, and we pull it together because we've been in your shoes we know what it's like we um we've been on some tough hunts. We, that's, that's what drives, um, our relentless pursuit of innovation is for hunting. Like, and it's coming from guys like me and Brendan Whitman and Sean Ayers and, and the list goes on and on. Pat, like all the guys at, uh, at Kuyu that hunt, like we're the, we're the influencers for the brand. Like we're the ones that are making this go forward. It's, you know, it's not just about profit margins or, or whatever. Like, all that's important, but we feel like if we take care of our customers' needs, the needs that they're going to have on the mountain, the business side of things will take care of itself. Yeah, I think you guys do a phenomenal job, and it's always great having you on the podcast talking archery. One of these um, days, I want to get you and talk some rifles and, and talk some of those setups and, and you know get into some of those questions as well, because I know you're really into that. Uh, so that would be a, a really good podcast. And again, um, thanks for your expertise and your time. And uh, enjoy uh, as a as a customer of Kuyu's. Uh, enjoy you know seeing the 
articles and some of the content that you guys have been putting out. So kudos to you guys for doing that and uh, look forward to chatting with you next time. Cool. I really appreciate it. As always, uh, it's my pleasure. So thanks, Jay. All right, buddy. God bless. Take care. Likewise. Take care. All right.